Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today, we discuss the importance of protecting your marriage or co parenting relationship in order to build a stable foundation for your autistic child. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome to our latest episode. Did you know that a team of scientists and researchers found that parents of children with autism were 10% more likely to get divorced than parents of typically developing children? They also found that there's a 24% chance of divorce for parents of autistic children, whereas there's only a 14% chance of divorce for parents of typically developing children. So that's how you get that 10% gap. Well, that's quite a way to dive right into the episode with <laughs> straight up talking about divorce and all that. But I mean, that is the the episode. I mean, we are talking about uh, parenting and co-parenting. What better way than uh, go hard? <laughs> I bring up that statistic not to scare anybody off, but I'm bringing it up because it's important. This is why we decided to talk about this topic. Today, we're going to be talking about the impact of your co-parenting and marriage relationship when it comes to raising an autistic child. And the reason why is because there is such a significant impact when it comes to raising a neurodiverse child, specifically an autistic child, and the strain that that kind of puts in a marriage. And I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form to blame the child at all whatsoever, but it just makes logical sense that a parent who's having to deal with more things like medical appointments and financial strain, because a lot of that is due to the extra finances involved in medical appointments, they're going to have a tougher time in their relationship than somebody who doesn't have those additional stressors. No, it makes perfect sense. And I mean, I've seen this in like the dad groups that I'm in where it kind of catches the dad off guard a little bit where he's like, wow, like I I didn't see this coming. Like I thought everything was going fine. And then basically kind of down the road, everything kind of blows up and kind of ultimately ends in divorce or a separation or something along those lines. And I think that's why we do see often that rate of single motherhood when it comes to single mothers of autistic children. I've seen that fairly frequently. I don't know the statistic right off the top of my head, but I believe that it was higher among parents of special needs children than parents of neurotypically developing children. That kind of makes sense in the sense that sometimes just having the additional pressures breaks people. It makes things too difficult. But I think that what we want to do here is we want to try to inject some more of our positivity into this and give you guys some words of encouragement. And embracing. Embracing. (laughs) We're going to just embrace marriage, embrace relationships, (laughs) co-parenting. But Obviously, we also have a very unique perspective there because we are a married couple dealing with this. So we felt like it was only natural that this should be a topic that we talk about. Since we are married. That we Last I checked. <laughs> I was going to say. I was gonna <laughs> Am say, I expecting some mail? <laughs> no, no. I was going to say earlier, like, do you want to break the news or, or should I that we, we are in fact married? Yeah, no. So, <laughs> cat's out of the bag on For that one. For now. <laughs> if you keep talking, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Um, we kind of joke around about this topic just because we are the type of people who deal with stress with humor, but we know it's actually a really serious topic. So one of the things that we want to talk about is not just the relationship when it comes to your marriage and how that impacts your child, but if you are divorced or separated, the importance of the co-parenting relationship. And even if you're single, you still have more than likely a relationship with a grandparent, a cousin, a neighbor, somebody perhaps who is influential when it comes to your child. So maintaining those relationships as well, if you're both doing some sort of support to that same child. Well, as I say, because it doesn't end there. So, I mean, if, if you are married and you end up getting divorced, I mean, you still are a parent. I mean, you still have a responsibility to that child. It changes the dynamics. So then you are co-parenting from kind of from then on. So, I mean, you still want to make sure that you still have a good enough relationship that you are for the benefit of the child able to be civil with the other person and, I mean, be able to give the child everything that they need so they're able to be successful to the best that they are. And in an ideal world, that's what we would want to see. I know that it's not always realistic. I know there's probably a bunch of single moms or maybe single dads listening to this podcast, and maybe your partner just ditched you and there's nothing you can do about it and you just can't co-parent because they're not willing to put in the work. We hear you, we see you, we acknowledge you. I'm going to hopefully give some tips and advice here that may be helpful if you have somebody else you're working with. Otherwise, I'm focusing more on the relationship aspect for this episode. Everyone, I mean, has their own story. I mean, a very unique situation. So, I mean, there are many cases that we might not be able to focus on right now. One of the first things that I want to talk about here, because I think it's really important, is every human being obviously has their own personality, their own ways of being. Everybody comes from a different family, and those family households and backgrounds can be very different. I know, Matt, you and I (laughs) couldn't possibly be more different in some areas. Like, Uh, you come from that wholesome American background. I come from my Latin, crazy Puerto Rican background. So culturally, we already had a lot of differences there. The melting pot in our family. (laughs) So, no, I mean, it's exactly true. I mean, um, because, I mean, your family is very much like, I don't want to say in your face, but they're like- We're loud. Right, but they're like there. And mine is more like the like laid back, like, oh, like let's like watch TV and eat our dinner. And just Your kinda... family's the type of family that you could walk into the room and not notice they're there. Like they, they could be very quiet reading a book, watching TV, and you're like, oh, wait, there's somebody in the room. Whereas my right. family, you can hear them a mile away. That's true. So, um, but I mean, yeah, there are definitely those differences. So I think it is important trying to find kind of the blend that works for your family. I mean, that goes for like traditions and such, but obviously ultimately with your parenting style as well, like how are you both able to kind of get on the same page when you need to raise your child and teach them important things for life skills? And we definitely struggled with this at the beginning because we had that older child with the autism diagnosis. And right off the bat, we already had some differences of opinions because of our backgrounds and the families that we came from. For example, Matt, you are very much so like a laid back type of person. Your family is very laid back. You guys have an easier time with just kind of flowing through life, whereas I'm much more like high strung. I like a lot of order, predictability. I'm like, I need to know 10 years in advance where my kid's going to go to school, even if they're not born yet, that sort of stuff. So basically to sum this up is if we go to a water park, I'm on the lazy river or like floating with like the wave pool. And I'm on the rapids. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So when we like melded our relationship together, it did start off a little bit rocky. Like they always say like that first year or two of marriage is always like the rocky part because you don't necessarily know how the other person truly functions until you're like living with them and starting to face hard things together. And the first hard, hard thing that we dealt with together was our daughter's autism diagnosis. Well, because we were only married, I think, for a little while before we, I mean, had our first daughter. It was probably only like a couple of years, a year and a half, two years. Yeah, it was not very so, I mean, long. We were, I mean, still relatively like young in our marriage. I mean, we had dated a couple of years before that. But I mean, as far as actually in the marriage, it had only been like a year and a half, two years before we basically hit the ground running. Okay, kids. And then within a year, 18 months, then we had the diagnosis. So then that added like another element on top of just a newborn baby to now, oh, okay, now we have to start working on therapies and kind of this whole world that for the most part, no one else could really direct us how to navigate. And I think that was the big struggle there because everyone can, I mean, for the most part, say like, oh yeah, I, um, I have three kids. I can help you. Like, this is how it worked for me. But I think when you add that other element, as far as like the therapies and working with like low muscle tone and going through speech therapy and developing language and all these different components, we didn't really have that safety net or anyone to reference or get any advice from. It was basically just us and the therapist. And we kind of learned along the way. One of the things that I learned from our relationship and our marriage, as well as through observing other relationships who are struggling with this similar thing, I noticed that there's two things that tend to happen after a diagnosis. And that is specifically in reference to like a marriage, let's say, or a relationship. It tends to be that that diagnosis either ends up being the thing that solidly bonds you two together. This is an experience that both of you feel so deeply and it hits you so much to the core that it actually becomes like the glue that strengthens and solidifies your marriage. But it also can go another way. That's when you guys face this challenge and you realize, oh, we actually deal with conflict in very different ways. And that can end up breaking the marriage. And that typically happens because one person might, for example, deal with conflict, stress, and depression in a way where they like to shut down or close off or they don't want to deal with it or they're in denial. And the other partner may deal with it where they want to know more. They want to talk about it. They want to obsessively research it. They want to talk about it. And that's where you can see that clash. And we've kind of gone back and forth a little bit with that because you are much more the researcher reading and watching every YouTube video you can find. And you can call it obsessive. It is what it is. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm a little bit more not so much. I kind of, I mean, I'll do like go to the therapies and I'll like help out or work with the therapist seeing exactly what she needs to work on and then work from there. But I think the other thing that I think helped us too was I'm kind of a little bit emotional. Yeah. <laughs> like I was going to say like- You're fluffy uh, on the inside. Right. So I mean, so I think, I think we were able to connect with that because when we first got the diagnosis, like we were able to connect of like, okay, like, like we need to figure this out together. I can't tell you, I think I saw that, that short float. Yeah, the like, Disney short. Like two or three times and every, every time. time it gets me and every time I'm crying because I identify as like, I mean, I've never yelled at my girls with the movie, but like I can like relate to the dad as far as like being like closed off sometimes and like not wanting to like go out in the world. And so I, I kind of relate to that. I mean, obviously that character and it's just like, uh, so yeah, it gets me. So I'm definitely like an emotional. So, so I think that uh, kind of initially helped that we had that bond that kind of pushed us through. But I think the other thing that it takes me back to, I think when we were doing like our premarital 
counseling, the statement that our pastor said where he was basically saying, like, a marriage is not 50-50. It will very ever rarely be 50-50. Sometimes it might be 80-20, 60-40. If you expect your partner to always give exactly, match you exactly, then you're basically setting yourself up for a failure. Sometimes, Leah, you're going to have to take the brunt of the work. Sometimes I will. It's going to kind of go flowing like a river back and forth. Like, you're never going to have that even match. So if you're trying to play the game where you're saying, oh, I've done all these things, like, you need to start picking up. I mean, you can say that. I mean, depending on how much the person (laughs) is like not filling that portion. But as far as like, you have to kind of roll with the punches. I realize that's probably not a good analogy. (laughs) It is what it is. (laughs) But, But as far as like kind of a give and take, like you have to recognize that from an early start that sometimes life's going to be rough and you're going to be picking up most of the the weight there and kind of pulling the family along. And sometimes it might not be the case, but you just kind of have to work with it kind of down the road. We are blessed in the sense that we are highly empathetic individuals. So we vibe well. So if I'm upset, like where you're upset, we tend to be very empathetic with each other. So I can see how in other relationships where that empathy might not be there, that can be more of a struggle or more of a challenge. The thing that we have learned that has worked the most for us is just opening and making sure that you have a broad open source of communication and be very clear with that communication as much as possible. Because if one of you is feeling some sort of way with the autism diagnosis and the other person perhaps is not, it may be that you guys don't really know how the other is feeling. So there can be some challenges there. It could be that one is having difficulty with processing that diagnosis. They might say that or show that in forms of denial where they're just like, no, they're not autistic. They're just a little slower to delay. They'll grow out of it, that sort of thing. It might not be the case that that person actually believes that. It could be like a defense mechanism. And that's what we saw, I guess, from mostly my side of the family. It was kind of like, well, we don't really know if it's like, even after the diagnosis, well, we're not really sure it's autism. They can still grow out a lot of these things. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, let's try and focus on if they're not able to grow out of some of uh, the behaviors like this might be for the long haul. Because we had struggled with that a little bit too, where you were kind of like probing like, well, how do you feel? Because I was kind of shut off and very quiet initially trying to figure out like, what does this mean? And as far as like the probing of like, okay, how do you feel? How this? And it's like, sometimes I don't really know how to explain or express like my thoughts. I mean, there there are definitely the struggles that we we've had to kind of endure. And honestly, this topic is such a big topic that there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything about this because this is really something that I feel like everybody needs to do some reflection. And again, open that line of communication with your partner. If you haven't yet, or you feel like there's some sort of tension there and you haven't explored it yet, maybe start probing for those open lines. Like maybe start asking some questions like, hey, how are you feeling about this diagnosis? I noticed that we never talked about it. What are your thoughts? Like, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? And maybe just start getting that ball rolling if you haven't already. And I was going to say, as a as a guy, it's sometimes very painful to have those conversations. Because you don't, you just want to kind of put it in a box and like put it away and maybe revisit it later. You're kind of being like pulled to it. It is a very difficult and painful conversation to have. But at the same time, I think it is a necessary conversation because after the fact, I mean, at least I was feeling better as far as like, okay, I express my thoughts and we can kind of work through my thoughts, my feelings, how this is all falling together. You're no longer necessarily working only as just you and your own internal thoughts. You're able to kind of 
share and work off of each other. And what are some of the challenges that you saw in the dad's groups in terms of relationship and the diagnosis? So initially, so I've I've seen it a few times where it will be a like rocky relationship where either the the mom is putting in more effort or the dad says that he's he feels that he's putting in most of the effort and the mom has basically not neglected, but basically checked out. Right. And so he feels like all the burden is on him. And then the, the wife sometimes will just kind of leave. So sometimes it is a who is taking on more of the the work level. Sometimes it's kind of a resentment thing that they hold the other one responsible for whatever the diagnosis or their behavior. I think there was one dad where he had gotten upset at one of the behaviors that the the young child had done. And then the mom basically just said, that's it, I'm done. So it just seems how you're dealing with the reaction. So in that case, it sounded like probably like a potential like meltdown. And the dad, I guess, was yelling at the the young child. I guess they didn't, he didn't handle the, uh, the meltdown very, very well. And I guess it probably wasn't the first time that he had that done happened. that right. And I think that was just kind of the the straw and ultimately just kind of snap because the mom was fed up with how uh, he was addressing the child. So there, there's a few different reasons, it sounds like, for kind of a, a rocky relationship. And ultimately, uh, on some of them, it sounds like they are like in uh, divorce uh, proceedings. And I mean, I can empathize with that in the sense that I totally get it that when you are in that heat of the moment where your child is having a meltdown and you are with the other partner and you feel that the best way to handle this meltdown is one way, but the other partner thinks that the best way is a different way. And you're both trying to have a conversation with a child in front of you who is melting down. So you have that extra sensory input of all the screaming or the throwing of toys or whatever it is that might be happening during that meltdown that can kind of boil people up to that little boiling point where they start to, you know, tip over a little bit. And the the sad thing was in the majority of the cases, with the exception of the one where the dad felt like the mother was checked out in all the other ones, the dad was completely caught off guard. He was surprised that that was the statement that came out of his wife's mouth, like basically saying like, we're getting a divorce. So that was the thing that was shocking that basically he had no knowledge that this was coming. So, I mean, they may have had conversations in the past of, oh, I really don't like it when you do this or X, Y, and Z. But there was never the hard conversation of, we are on rocky ground. We need to really rein this in. We need to address how you're dealing with our son or daughter better because we're basically at the end of the rope. So, I mean, it never seemed like that conversation ever been had. It just seemed like it was kind of like the the mic drop that we're done. It's very interesting to me because I use this quote all the time when it comes to autism, where you have an autistic child who is nonverbal or limited communication. I use that phrase very frequently that behavior is communication. And it seems like parents sometimes have a great time applying that to their autistic child. But then when it comes to your marriage or your relationship or your co-parenting relationship, you kind of forget that the other person might be doing the exact same thing. They're displaying to you a behavior without communicating effectively what they're feeling. So you will often see it come out in behavior before you get to that verbal communication. We need to focus on trying to break down those barriers. And if we are sensing a vibe, because let's be honest, we can sense a vibe. I'd say like nine times out of 10, you can sense a vibe. You can sense something's off, even if you don't talk about it. And I feel like those are the moments where we need to kind of like push back a little bit and maybe start like cracking open that shell and see like, hey, is something going on? Because like you said, oftentimes people are caught completely off guard because there is no communication in the relationship. 
I would also argue that as far as like, I don't want to put like a hierarchy, but as far as like the importance between like relationship and then kids, you think that as far as you need to have the solid foundation with your significant other, spouse, co-parent before you can build the relationship with your children. It's basically like you're flying a plane and your marriage is the landing gear. You can have a great relationship with your kid, but eventually your plane needs to, I mean, land. And if you don't have any type of relationship, it's it's going to crash every time. That metaphor went way over my head, but hopefully somebody else got it. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure if it actually works. I was just thinking of like a plane. I was like, okay, so you need like a solid foundation. It's It has its landing gear and the wheels and everything. I mean, I get what you're so, saying, though. Like, if you don't have that, your plane has to stay flying all the time because all you have is the relationship with your kids. But at some point, you need to like touch down, get ref- I mean, unless you're refilling in the air, but we won't go there. At some point, you have to land. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I mean, I think I get what you're saying. It's essentially saying that right now, most often people think of your family structure as like a pyramid with the parents on the bottom being the foundation that supports the child on the top. And sometimes, though, the same exact pyramid that looks like to us, parents foundation, child on top, sometimes people read that as the parent is on the bottom and the child is on the top. Therefore, the child is the priority and our marriage is last because we have to make sure our children are okay. And it's kind of like that whole situation where let's let's bring back the airplane. When you're on an airplane was the first thing they always say. And in case of an emergency, they say you put on your mask. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Opposite of what we're trying to say here. Don't go for the exit. Put your mask on first. (laughs) And then the mask of your child. And I feel like it's the same thing that kind of happens in parenting. And we struggled with kind of the the philosophy behind this initially, too, because we are very devoted to our children. And we're like, doesn't it just make sense that if anything came down to it, that we would prioritize our child like before us? So people get kind of stuck in that. And then we did some more thinking about it. And we're like, well, it doesn't make sense to neglect our relationship and our marriage in a way that, quote unquote, benefits our child if our child would be most benefited from us having a strong foundation in marriage or co-parenting relationship. As far as like the like extremes, like it's it's not necessarily like the analogy of like your house is on fire. You have the option to save yourself or save your child. You and I both know we would save the child over ourselves. I mean, we'd save our kids before we'd save ourselves. Like that's, right. I mean that, but we would both save the child over ourselves, which means we are a united Units. front and we both are on the same page. So, I mean, I think that's like one analogy. Gosh, we use a lot of analogies. I know. Well, we're ADD and stuff. So neurodiversity <laughs> needs analogies. Uh, but I think overall in the conversations I've seen in the dad's group, it seems like that one element was the lack of communication with the significant other. And that's kind of where everything kind of started to fall apart. And that's why I haven't really pushed for any other like tips or solutions in this episode, because I do think there's a lot of other things you could do. Honestly, like I said, this topic is way too large to cover in like 20, 25 minutes. But I think the one critical piece is being able to have that open communication. Building on that is something that is really critically important. Even if it's just like a little bit of room that you make, just starting those communication lines can make all the difference. And I would say, even if you're coming from a place that's rocky, it doesn't need to be, oh, we have to solve everything today. It can be, okay, let's try and slowly work on our marriage, our relationship, our co-parenting one day at a time. Maybe start off with a compliment to your significant other just to kind of build a little bit of rapport. But I think overall, if you work towards the goal of improving your relationship and your interaction with that other person, I think that that is the important focus. 
And don't forget that when it comes to communication, it's also critical that that communication is done in a respectful manner. No matter how many feelings you have towards this other person, whether it's hard feelings or not, nothing is going to be communicated effectively unless you do it in a respectful manner. That's really like the biggest tip that I can give when it comes to this. Yeah, I agree. I hope that was helpful. I know that it wasn't a whole lot because we have such limited time, but I hope that that key point of communication, communication, communication is what you need to work on to build that solid foundation for your co-parenting and marriage relationship so that you can have that haven, that safe space to raise your autistic child. Yep. And I guess we'll see you next time. Have a good one, everyone. Bye. Bye. To review, we discussed the critical importance of open communication within your marriage or co-parenting relationship and how focusing on bettering your relationship can positively impact your child. We also noted how having difficult conversations and gently probing when you suspect something's wrong can help improve the effectiveness of your communication when done in a respectful manner. Tune in next time as we answer questions such as, what can I do to help my autistic child turn their negative self-view into self-love? How can I guide them into mindfulness? And what do I do if my child internalizes or violently externalizes their emotions? This is Embracing Autism. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.